This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. And then, then there were two. Wow. Feels weird, not going to lie. <laughs> this feels weird. It is been, weird. Uh, this show might be really short. <laughs> or long. Oh, wait, no. Oh, wait, no. It's it's you and me, so it'll be just as long. Super know. long. Yeah, he, yeah our, our colleague usually was the ref and would make sure we stayed on schedule. So yeah. we're kind of in trouble on that. He would steer <laughs> us back right. Uh, what's up? Jeff Nerick with you here on the Black and Gold Banner podcast. Minus our dearly departed Murph, who, as we said, as he mentioned to us last week, has moved on to greener pastures with MLB. And so it's me and Eric for the time being. But uh, we still still have a lot to talk about here. Um, we will uh, talk about men's soccer. Obviously, the their incredible run finally breaking through in the American Athletic Conference Tournament. Uh, we'll hear from head coach Scott Calabrese. We'll hear from Yannick Ertl as well. Uh, we'll talk about uh, men's and women's tennis as they finish up their regular seasons. They're heading to the American starting their long run at home in the conference tournament and in the NCAA. Uh, we got some basketball news. Uh, one departure and one, and eh, not really departure, maybe. And uh, plenty of other things to talk about. Eric's going to talk about softball. We got lots to talk about here uh, in this in, in segment three. But we start here in our first segment with UCF men's soccer. It had been since 2004, Eric Lopez, that UCF, uh, had won a tournament in men's soccer. The last three years, they've been stopped in the championship of the American, the championship match, uh, by the SMU Mustangs. Uh, uh, twice in extra time, once on a golden goal, once in shoot, once in shootout. Uh, SMU stopped them in the postseason. SMU's been their bugaboo. And lo and behold, UCF in the uh, their third straight year of winning the regular season title, hosting the tournament, uh, UCF has to face SMU in the semifinals. Well, they go to penalty kicks and they beat them on Thursday night. Uh, and then UCF has to face a very tough Tulsa team um, that was, I thought, well-prepared for the match. Uh, but UCF gets a goal uh, in the ninth minute uh, and then holds off Tulsa on offense. Tulsa had some golden chances, one with two minutes to go. It was a wide-open net, and, the guy, and, and, uh, and their guy hit the side of the net with the shot. Um, but that was it. And UCF in back of Yannick Ertl, who had 14 saves for the tournament, including a career high nine in that SMU game. I mean, it was a virtuoso performance, uh, for him in that semifinal, um, wins the most outstanding defensive player. And the Knights have won, uh, win the American on Sunday night, uh, went to nothing over Tulsa and they are headed to the NCAAs where they will face James Madison, who is undefeated this year. Uh, even though they Boy, they, just, they love to serve undefeated teams to UCF in all postseason, yeah, don't they? Isn't, that, isn't, isn't it funny how it works out like that? Uh, but they will face James Madison uh, in the field of 36 this year. So um, UCF ends up getting a bye to the second round, but there are only four first round games, right? So, uh, so here we are. Uh, it's uh, it, it finally the the ghosts of SMU have been exercised. They beat SMU three times this season, including in the championship round. Um, did so in dramatic fashion. Um, still had another match to win, but they did it. It was a grueling, grueling weekend for this team. Um, but they got through, Eric, and they deserve it, don't they? 
They did, and one guy in particular, which is, to me, the tournament was about the legacy of Yannick Ertl, the goalkeeper, and you got to see it up close doing PA, put on a show. Uh, that performance against SMU might be the best performance right now that any UCF athletes had this year. And you think about it, you know, his legacy just skyrocketed. He's a three-time now American Conference Goalie of the Year. That performance in the semi against SMU, and then counting that with a championship at home against Tulsa with a shutout, I think you can make the argument now. You know, I said last week he's a top three goalkeeper of all time in UCF men's soccer behind Winston DeBose and Rick Brentsevic. Uh, you can make the argument now that he has, with that tournament, he surpassed Brent Savick at least to number two. I can't put him ahead of DeBose yet because that legacy, that, I mean, that's a whole, you know, that's a different category. That's a Florida sports Hall of Famer. Yeah. But Johannic Ertel, this was his tournament. And it's funny because he was kind of under the shadow of Cal Jennings the last couple of years. This was, you know, the last couple of years it was Cal Jennings' pro team. He was the face of the program. I think this year, this was Yannick's team. You saw that up close with the leadership he's shown, what a difference maker he is when he missed the two matches. And I think his performance were amazing. Quite frankly, they were outplayed in that SMU match. I think even Coach Calabrese admitted that after the match. But Yannick Erdo stole that match for them. And they have the confidence to win with him. And to me, that's his legacy to help this program get the double, the double. As Coach Cromwell used to tell me, it's about getting that double, which is the regular season title and the conference tournament title in the same year. Not easy to do. Uh, but now Calabrese gets over that hump and does it. And uh, just to do it at home. And again, they were one in three to start the year. To get to this point is pretty remarkable with no room to air because as we saw in the selection process, only one team from the American got in, which surprised me a little bit. Mm -hmm. So who knows if UCF doesn't win the tournament automatic bid, if they even get in or not. So clutch performance for Yannick Ertl. This is a legacy uh, tournament for him. This was his team. We'll see now what happens in the NCAA tournament. I would argue they had one of the toughest matchups in the open in their uh, round of 32. It's two of the top goalkeepers in the in college soccer right now going head to head yeah. in the second round, which is amazing to me. But a heck of a tournament run, a memorable moment, and a memorable run for this program. The numbers on Ertl throughout the ever since that one in three start. Um, where it looked like things were unraveling for this team, right? UCF as a team uh, has won uh, or has gone unbeaten now in eight in a row. Uh, Ertl himself has given up just two goals in regulation in his last uh, in his last six uh, in his last seven matches, I should say, uh, since that number nine since that first game at. Uh, SMU. That was his first game back. Uh, and uh, they got the overtime win against South Florida. They had they, they, the only goals he gave up were to SMU in, in the American Championship semis. And then also another one to SMU back on April the 2nd. That was that Friday game back here at home. So, um, you know, and, and no one else has scored on, on Yannick Ertl since. Um, I think you're right. I think his legacy is secure, but now he he gets the chance to really boost it. As does this team uh, in the uh, NCAA uh, in the NCAA championship, uh, starting with number 17, James Madison. We talked to uh, Coach Calabrese uh, after the selection, uh, and here's what he had to say about uh, how he felt about how how he his team was respected by the NCAA, getting the bye for the second straight year. 
Yeah, I think I think we're respected. Um, I think uh, I think our conference is respected because I, I I do think you know that's that's part of it. That that shows that they feel like our conference was strong enough to test us to a point where um, you know they they say okay the their record is is really meaningful um, that they played they played strong opponents uh, which I totally. Uh, I mean, every game in our conference is is a is a big game and a difficult game. So I, I think it says something about us. I think it says something about all the opponents that we played. Um, I think it's it's good that that we have that bye because we you know we're beat up. Um, anytime you play two games in forty eight hours, uh, there's uh, there's consequences for for our players. So. Um, it's it's good actually that we're able to get some time to to get our players healthy and rested and re-energized and recovered so that we can be at our best come come match day. Well, you could hear the uh, relief in Scott's uh, voice as he knew that you know they didn't have to get uh, that extra they didn't have to you know sweat it out for an at-large bid like they had to the last three seasons. But uh, you know, interesting though in the field of thirty-six. UCF was the only team in the American to get in. I'm curious as to whether or not the uh, they they would have let them they, they would have let UCF in had they lost the championship game to uh, Tulsa. I would something about that. I, I would like to think that they probably would, that they may have. I think Tulsa was just too far away on the outside looking in. Um, but we could be wrong. You know, I mean, we don't know. Now they have to face this James Madison team that. Uh, we talked about, and uh, you mentioned earlier, um, Eric, one of the best goalkeepers uh, in yep. the uh, in, in the entire country. Yep. They've allowed a grand total of, I think, two goals, two goals. all yep. season. Yep, T.J. Bush is the redshirt senior goalkeeper who was the 80th overall pick in this past year's MLS Super Draft. Uh, he was drafted by the Seattle Sounders. And uh, <laughs> I mean that's pretty high praise, and yet for, you know, yeah. fortunately for JMU, he chose not. He chose to stay in college. He didn't just go ahead and sign his pro deal for whatever reason. So he's really good. It's a great matchup of two young goalkeepers. Obviously, the schedules are totally different. This is like mm -hmm. a 15 versus 18 matchup if you really break it down. With Pittsburgh getting likely being the likely winner as a number two overall seed so i kind of feel like ucf was seated like 15 or 18 range there versus james matt it's an even matchup and it's mm. going to be interesting how which team can kind of break through offensively you know this ucf offense not as explosive as it was the last couple years this is more of a defensive team really if you look at it with yanni slitterman playing great in the back and then obviously yannick lucas dorado had the goal in the goal in the in the uh he had, he had, match. He had both regulation yeah. goals he was the offensive yeah. player of the tournament but I would not be surprised. I think you're going to see a similar matches that what you saw in the conference tournament, which is very, you know, maybe somebody gets a goal in there. If not, this could be decided by penalty kicks with these two great goalkeepers that honestly have a pro future in their insights here. We could be seeing, we're seeing two future pros here. We could be sitting there for a while <laughs> with no goals in this game. This one could go to, uh, this one could go to PK's uh, scoreless. I really do believe that. You look at JMU. Uh, they're first in the country in team goals against average, 0.231 goals against per game. Um, they are first in save percentage, 93%. First in shutout percentage, 75% of their games have ended in shutouts. Uh, interesting, they're also top 10 in corners per game, but they do 
struggle in terms of scoring. Uh, they're only uh, uh, so they they do kind of struggle offensively. UCF has shown spur- fits and starts offensively um, this season. Uh, you know, right now they're uh, they're twenty fourth in team goals against average and fourth in save percentage, but. Um, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be a good matchup. The good thing is for UCF though, Eric, they got two weeks to rest up for this game before they go to carry North Carolina because the tournament doesn't start, uh, until, uh, until the end of April and UCF's game isn't until May the 2nd at uh, 5 PM. So great. They desperately need, yes, this this better be T is this televised. It's volleyball, you know, or do we need volleyball people to like complain about this as well? Like, (laughs) Because the, no, no, seriously, like the college cup has never been covered before in the early rounds. Like we were, we were kind of spoiled here at UCF last year. The last right. time when UCF played, we got to cover it. Not every school does that. Uh, UCF trying to make a second straight Sweet Sixteen, by the way, program history, which would be that's insane if they could pull that off. It doesn't say if it's televised yet or not. Well, I hope so it I'm is. That's a, say, I'm very curious how they're going to handle that. Remember, they got the men's and the women's both in Cary, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. With the 36 and the 48 team field, so and in various uh, places around Cary too. The the specific play, location for this game is the J. Burt Gillette Athletic Complex, uh, which is uh, just off of uh, Toysnet Dog, uh, just off of Toysnet Park. I think it's. I'm glad you know this. this I don't know where. <laughs> no, I'm not sure where this is. This is uh, this is near Barton College. In Cary, North Carolina, closer to Wilson, North Carolina. Yeah. But this is a toss-up um, match. This is a Tommy JMU. You mentioned, I think you mentioned, they're ranked. Uh, both teams are ranked. Yeah, right. Seventeen, yeah, are. depending on which polls you look at. Which you know, there. This is a legit toss-up match. It really reminds me of 2019 when UCF got paired up with Missouri State. Missouri mm-hmm. State was undefeated, but was not seeded, which you know was a controversial thing by the committee. UCF was the national uh, nine seed, which obviously that was controversial in itself. And I, I was fortunate enough to call that match. That was a dramatic match that went into overtime. I'll never forget Gino Vivi with the cross to Cal Jennings. And ironically enough, Cal Jennings' last kick at home was in the back of the net to send UCF to its first ever Sweet 16 in program history. Now... We'll see if they can do this for a second year, or I don't know. You, do you call this a second year in a row? I think you do, right? This counts as two yeah. years. Yeah. So, it's, <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I was in PA. The, officially, we it was called the the 2020 American Athletic right. Conference Men's Soccer Championship because it was supposed to be in the fall. They kind of took a page from the NFL. They took a page out of the NFL playbook. You know how the NFL used to like every year the playoffs. Well, this is the 2019 playoffs, even though it like it's yeah. funny. You know what I mean? Like so, it's, yeah, it makes sense. All right, so we've we've learned this one thing from now on. You need to be the PA guy for UCF men's <laughs> soccer tournaments to win. I don't they, know, man. They couldn't win a conference tournament without you. Now you show up to do PA and they win the conference tournament. All right, Coach I, Roberts, I, I'm just saying. I, I don't know, man. Like that was. That was a grueling weekend. I don't know if the players would be in favor of that because they're like they're completely exhausted after that. I don't play. And now, if I'm not mistaken, now you've called the American Championship in volleyball too, right? You did that when UCF correct. hosted, and now you did it for men's soccer. That's pretty that's good correct. double dip. And UCF I, won both tournaments. Not, I'm, I'm not going to complain. I'm just saying, if we, you know what, hey, Give listen, a ring, if we're hosting, people. no, if we host a championship. Hey, I'm available, guys. Chris Walsh, whoever's making those decisions, yep. call them. Call me up, man. I'm I'm ready to do it. If I if the coaches think I'm a good luck charm, I am all I am more than happy to to oblige them on that. So, 
Uh, again, May the 2nd is uh, UCF and JMU. We'll update you on TV once we get a little bit more information on that. But uh, UCF and uh, James Madison should be a That's uh, a toss-up match. That is a yep. – that's really one of the top matchups in the round 32. It's amazing. It, it's it's really – I do hopefully – I do hope it's televised because I do think we're seeing two guys in Bush and obviously in Yannick. They're going to play professionally. I think Bush obviously is towards yeah. the, the United States. I think it seems to me – it sounds to me like Yannick's more in the European side. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Yannick back home in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Post-haste. Could be a um, guy, right, that could be in the mix for Germany down the road. Yeah. Uh, a team. Uh, I would certainly would think he's a Team Germany uh, prospect, yeah. at, at least. I don't know how many – I don't know if he's in the international system for them or not. But uh, If but, there's yeah, not, he should he, be. If he's not, he should be, and he, and he hopefully will be now. Uh, in that second round, by the way, uh, Pitt, uh, who awaits the winner of this game, Ninth in the country in scoring offense, 2.38 <laughs> goals a game. So that's quite the challenge. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I mean, wow. I mean, but if UCF were to win, though, boy, doesn't that sound like a track meet? That sounds like um, a track meet. Like UCF, I mean, you saw it. UCF's not afraid to go up and down on the field. It's, I mean, that SMU well, match. I, I, I mean, think that that's, that's what shows, that shows you what, what's good about this yes. team is that they can, they're not a one-trick pony. They can beat you in multiple styles. I think yes, that's the part yes. that's that I think you have to be uh, that you have to be happy about. Uh, by the way, uh, and yeah, but uh, Pitt would play. Um, Pitt still has a game to get through before they would face the winner of James Madison and UCF. By the way, they would face the winner of Bowling Green and Monmouth. Obviously, Pitt will be a heavy favorite. Pitt from the dominant, I believe they're in the ACC as well. ACC, that's right. Which I believe has Clemson's the number one overall. See, the ACC is the superpower of college men's soccer uh, deal there. And, uh, but, you know, look. North Carolina is in the field from the ACC. Uh, You got, you got Wake. Uh, I almost said Maryland, but they're not in the. Who are the top national seeds? Uh, What is it? Clemson's one. Yeah, Clemson's one. Uh, Indiana is three out of the Big Ten. Uh, you got Georgetown and Seton Hall out of the Big East at eight and six, respectively. Washington's the seven. Wake is the five. Uh, Stanford at four. So you're looking ACC. Pitt's the two seed. So you're looking ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big East. Those are your yeah. those are your four I, major I, ones. I, I tend to agree with you. I think if UCF would have lost, I like to think they would have snuck in. I'm glad we're mm-hmm. not in that position because I rather not. Because right. who knows with a 36-team field? Who knows. I think they would have snuck in. I think Tulsa was probably kind of one of those things. The way they finished the season probably didn't help them. Plus, they haven't. You know, UCF's yeah. got a track record recently here, making a Sweet Sixteen right. and stuff. And, and Tulsa's but, also, uh, you know, they're kind of the new kid on the block. I think if it yeah. was, I think if you flip them with SMU, I think SMU has enough cachet, uh, cachet. cachet right, yeah, stored yeah. up that they they probably could have gotten an at large, but they got knocked out in the semifinals. So yeah, it'll be interesting to talk to Coach Calabrese once this is all done. How he feels about because him and I, you know, he's talked to us, Jeff, about the two semester sport. Yeah, and I'm curious now that he's gone through it in the spring version. How if he feels any different? Does he feel strongly more about it? I'm very interested. But he's got bigger things to worry about right now. We got plenty of time to catch up with him about that. But I'm just excited for. Him. I'm happy they got in. It's a heck of a story. A heck of a coaching job. This guy is amazing, and let's just hope nobody and nobody else figures that out. <laughs> well, except I, I, I will say that except for one place, mm-hmm. Team U. Well, two places, Team USA, Oof, they could or use or Orlando City. 
Well, City made the playoffs last year, so I mean that they always. Yeah, do. but I, I, if he's a Team USA now, that's a very more valid point. I mean, they just missed the Olympics again, the men's program in U.S. soccer. So that yeah, I mean that that, that whole thing needs a rebuild in a hurry. Yeah. By the way, credit Tiffany Roberts to Haydak recommended yep. him to Danny White. Yep, absolutely, and, 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 and that's it's worked a pretty out. Remark. Yeah. So, all right, uh, let's switch gears real quick. To there's some news today out of basketball. Uh, Jason Beatty reported this first from 247, so we got to give him credit for it. But uh, uh, CJ Walker has announced that he's going to test the NBA draft waters. Uh, he did so on his uh, social media. Um, now, bear in mind, Isaiah Adams has already done this, um, announced that, but we talked about it on a previous show. We do believe that he will event. He, he's doing basically what Darren Green, both these guys are doing, what Darren Green and Taco Fall did before. For them is they go through the they go through the pre-draft process they get their evaluations from the scouts that are there and the gms that are there and we tend to believe that it's likely they will come back you never know but um i personally think it's it's more likely than not that they will return in uh, in 2021 and come back to ucf for at least one more year the two of them what do you think eric yeah, I agree. Unless somebody gets them, bet, gives them bad advice. <laughs> I mean, right? Yes. I mean, I mean that's that's you never know who gives advice, what who they listen to, and things like that. But I mean, yeah, I would think those two. And again, well, I th- I, that's the whole reason why they why they do this though is to get is is so that they're not relying on the advice of uh, of their right. quote camp end quote. They're, right, right, they're relying right. on the advice of I, I of wish, their right, yeah, of 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 the actual people who would be making those decisions. I wish there was a different way to you know to do it instead of hey I gotta declare for the draft to get this information instead you know because people always like the 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 headlines is very misleading right like oh I'm declaring and you know oh my god what is he thinking no well he's just trying to get information so you know I, I expect those two to be back but it's look as Brian and, and we've talked about in past episodes I mean why not you've got it yeah. it's in your disposal. Get that all that information that you can get, and then make those decisions. I mean, those look. They're, they're, both of those guys have are interested in playing professional basketball. That's no secret. So they want to see where and they're, they're at. Certainly talented enough to do it at some point. In at their some lives, point, no I don't believe right not right now. But they're going to try to find out what where are they? What do they need to work on? What do they need to do? Um, so you know, it's it's this is just a the, you know. It, this is going to be a part of the process. They're not the only ones. There's a lot of other guys that have done the same thing in college. It's just, this is college basketball in a nutshell now. Yeah. But we'll take a look at that, uh, you know, when the time comes. What's the date for them to undeclare, Eric? I know you guys keep saying that. It's right before the draft, right? Yeah. I I want to say that the apply, May 30th, I believe, would be the deadline. I think May 30th to apply for this year. That's the deadline to, to stay. May 30th. You're right. Yep. So. You know, you got time to get all the info you need to do, and we'll see what happens. I mean, boy, there are a lot of underclassmen that are out. Yeah, there. I mean, that's always my concern about this. What what happens is because the NBA draft is only two rounds, is you're going to end up with more guys declaring than they probably. Well, I don't. I shouldn't say should, but the bottom line is not everybody's going to get drafted. And look, and some guys may not care. Maybe some guys might just say, I'll, I'm good just playing in the G league or just, I just want to move on. Every case is different and you know, we'll see what happens. Um, like I said, CJ Walker's, if I will say this, if there's one of the two is likely to go, I think it's Walker. 
I agree. I, I because he's he's shown to me like you know that NBA ready. Well, and he's uh, big. He's a big body. Yeah, he's a and, big. Yeah. He's super super athletic. Can jump out of yes. the gym. Yes. Um, yeah. He's yeah. He if either you're right. Either if either one of them leave, it's you know most likely going to be CJ. However, I still think there's a less than fifty percent chance that he does leave. I agree with that. Um, but. I, I I also think it's a non-zero chance too. Do you do you? Th- I I agree. I agree with that. I think that's fair. Um, I I would not be shocked by too many things there. Do you think in football they'll ever get to that point where they allow the football guys declare quote unquote but come back and get information in the NFL side? Do you ever think that day comes? Because I've always been curious. I think it would be. I, I think it would be a smart thing for the NFL to do, I, I, especially when you can. However, what I worry about is how um, uh, how well, part of the, the, the college foot I mean, football you have to stay what two years at least. You know, you ha- yeah, you have to be two years removed from your high school graduation yeah. at a minimum in order to do that. Um, I think that the chief issue there is. Uh, what do you do with, you know, it, it would become a major administrative hassle. Now, if anyone can handle that, it's the NFL. But, you know, you're already drafting how many guys in the NFL draft? 400 some, 400 some players? Right. So uh, not to mention, and that doesn't include, obviously, the, all the free agent signings and whatnot. If you throw in every, you know, junior and sophomore and perhaps even freshman a year early, because um, I think they would have to bump it down, you can be... You can be any age um, in order to get that evaluation. Boy, you're going to be talking like. Well, I'm not even know, like, not even like, let's just say. Several, they, like several, like a couple thousand guys. Like, but let's, just, let's, for an evaluation. let's just, let's just say they keep the rules the way it is where you can't declare until you're like a redshirt sophomore or junior. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, hey, maybe certain sophomores or juniors that declare can, you know, instead of, you know, they can declare, but get that information and then come back. You know, and, and I think I always think of Jacoby Glenn. Remember Jacoby Glenn had that monster year and apparently he got advice from a relative or something. He declared he didn't get drafted. Now he, to his credit, he made it, he worked his way into the NFL and things like that. I just guys like that. I wonder if that would benefit if they can get information from legitimate people, not relatives, you know, before declaring or, or if they can declare agents, right. If they, well, well, they're not supposed to be talking agents, but it's just interesting that basketball can do it. And granted, it's a smaller draft compared to football, but yet football, which has, you know, to me, football is more critical because basketball, there's a ton of options for guys. They can make it in the NBA. They could play in Europe. They can, we've discussed this at length. There is not a lot of, there's no options in football. It's either the NFL or maybe the CFL. And I just read where the CFL now is pushed back to August for a start, which is really fascinating because what happens to guys in the CFL that want to play in the NFL. So because there's no spring football and that hasn't worked out for various reasons, there's really only one option for football, and that's the NFL, And whereas basketball, there's more options. So if a guy doesn't get drafted, like our boys Jermaine Taylor and, and Keith Clatton, these guys have played overseas. Football doesn't have that luxury, and I just right. wonder if there's certain – we could help those guys in football that, you know, maybe shouldn't have gotten dra- – you know, didn't – should have declared and maybe go undrafted, you know, help them out from an information standpoint. Because I know we had this discussion after each of the UCF guys that are in this draft, like, um, George, you, know, Frank, you know, next week – what uh some of those UCF guys that may are not going to get drafted could they have benefited from uh maybe talking to NFL people and then take advantage and come back for an extra year 
for example, mm-hmm. if they didn't get drafted instead of, well, I just got to sign. I'm not saying they would have come back. I'm just saying an extra option. Could they have benefited if the XFL was still around or the Alliance for that matter? You know, that I, keep, Maybe. I know I keep banging that drum, but, you know, I mean, it's those are those are developmental leaks. Well, right. what do you, well, and it's going to be interesting when once we get closer back to normal. Uh, we've discussed this in the past. The Rock owns the XFL. There's been some reports that the XFL has talked to the Canadian Football League about maybe yeah. even a merger of sorts. I don't know where you where you fall on that. That's an interesting dynamic that I've never thought of. If those two leagues were to work together, maybe maybe mm-hmm. that might be the best option for having a, an opportunity to succeed as far as a minor league football system. By the way, you know where the, where the Rock played his professional football? Canada, right? In Canada, he played yeah. in the CFL. That's right. So I, I will say this, Jeffrey, you're a big spring football proponent. If anybody can make it happen, it's the Rock. I think he's very smart, and I think yeah, he comes from a football background. He, he's you know that's uh, you know to me that's that that matters, uh, and the fact that he's you know he's been through the he's been through the football ringer. He knows how football works. He was with the uh, I believe it was the Calgary Stampeders of the, yeah, of the Canadian yeah. Football League back after he after he, uh, after he w- moved on from the University of Miami. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it, he's if he wants to be a creative businessman, I mean that might be something. I mean we know that the CFL has been in some serious financial trouble right. since they were denied a. Um, a basically a bailout by the Canadian government, um, and uh, and they had to cancel their 2020 season. Obviously, it's the first year since I think one of the World Wars that they hadn't awarded the Grey Cup. Right, right. So I think those are some things to follow there. And again, we'll see if football ever does that. They probably won't because you know the NFL has all the leverage. They don't care. But uh, look, as far as basketball is concerned, this is just part I of I think the NFL would be all too happy for somebody else to foot the bill for a developmental league. <laughs> well, and I think The Rock might because The Rock is a big enough name and he might use that as his way to create content, right? Could, yep. I could see The Rock turn the XFL into a reality show too on the side, starring him, right? Like he's Maybe, or he's starring that, the teams, right? Correct. He's that big of a name. So, you know, so, we'll see. All right. So, uh, in the meantime, the other thing that we wanted to talk about, we haven't talked about yet, um, Colin Smith, and actually BD had this first from uh, 247, uh, uh, I think it was UCF released the CJ Walker news, but um, but Jason BD had this one first. Colin Smith has announced he's going into the transfer portal. Uh, Colin, of course, uh, in his time at UCF, very productive, was the leading uh, returner from the uh, tournament team with Taco uh, and uh, B.J. Taylor and and uh, and Aubrey Dawkins and all them uh, came back for the 2019-2020 uh, season. Um, had a certainly serviceable and productive year that year um, as uh, as a redshirt junior, starting uh, all 30 games uh, in that year. Um, but uh, last year uh, didn't play because of a. a what it wasn't dis- officially disclosed. There have been some rumors that there was some sort of medical issue, but um, you know, whatever it was, it, it was an issue that was between Colin and, and the coaching staff and the administrative staff at UCF. Um, he did walk on senior day uh, at UCF this past season. Um, of course, he's from Jacksonville, went to the bowl school and, and attended George Washington before coming to UCF, but he's announced he's in the transfer portal and or rather he hasn't announced it, but uh, it was uh, disclosed to BD that uh, he is there. So, uh, what's the legacy of Colin Smith here? And I think this is this is pretty interesting. I mean, I didn't know. I, I being that he had walked on Senior Day, Eric, um, I wasn't expecting him to actually uh, 
return at all. I, 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 I thought that he was probably closer to hanging it up than anything. But um, but apparently he's going to give it one more shot. Well, and he still might. I mean, it, you know, he might decide to still hang him up. I think he wants to see all his options. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm not average surpri- 10 points a game for his career. Yeah. I yeah. think there's I think there's a couple things here. And this is the thing. And I think you're going to see this in every sport with the extra year given everybody. The numbers are so whack right now. And I think from a Collins standpoint and a UCF standpoint, there was no future there. There's no guarantees Collins steps yeah. back on the court at you, you know, right now. If you're UCF, you can't give up a scholarship to a guy that may or may not play. You've got recruits coming in, you've got transfers coming in. So you're gonna see this across the board with all programs. You're gonna see this across the board in all sports. Free agencies here, folks, in college athletics. All right. Yeah. So that's number one. I think number two with Colin, I don't know what his medical condition is, but it could be a situation where maybe he's not cleared to play here at UCF, but he could get he could get cleared somewhere else. That has happened here before. Uh, there's a softball mm-hmm. player, it's funny, you know, with Wichita State by the name of Riley Buck, who was at UCF, played at UCF in the fall, never got cleared. Dude, she had a medical condition. UCF didn't clear her. She transferred to Wichita State. They cleared her, and she's playing at a high level, unfortunately, at our expense now. We'll get to that later. Yeah, but- more on that later. But that's my point. So maybe Colin feels like I can play, but maybe UCF says no. I don't think you can play, or Colin feels he's or done we don't can- want to. We don't want to assume the risk of you. Correct, playing. right? And and that's just speculation. Uh, and you know, so I think Colin's doing the right thing. He's looking at all his options. We'll see what happens. His legacy is secured at UCF. He's always going to be a part of that 2019 team that made the NCAA tournament. I'll never forget that performance against Houston on the road on national mm-hmm. television and ESPN, where he was a big factor next to Taco Fall when they knocked off Houston and ended up their winning streak. His legacy is secured here. He's a likable guy. Maybe he also decided to transfer. He heard the news that Brian was leaving us. He said, well, I got nobody to talk to here, so I'm just going to follow. Maybe he'll just leave him. So I wish him the best, whatever he decides. He's a great guy. Whatever he decides, it's cool. It's his decision. It's his life. I just you know, hope it works out for him. I think UCF will be fine. Uh, but you're going to see this in all sports where you're going to see some players that might surprise you. They're like, really? They're going to leave because of a couple factors. Numbers-wise, the program may have just don't have the numbers and they might say, you know what? I need a new challenge. I need a new opportunity. Right. And I, I, I second you on that because, you know, we enjoyed Colin, um, not just watching him on the floor, but also talking to him off the floor. Um, good dude. Um, you know, really did give this program everything, you know, it took a tremendous load on his shoulders that year after the NCAA appearance where right. basically he was the only guy left. Um, and, and it's I, I was sad to see him not play this past season because really when you look back at it, there were two things that UCF really needed this year that they didn't have. One was an extra point guard, and Tony Johnson hurt himself and was out for the year after the, you know, during halftime of the first game, and an extra big, and that would have been Colin Smith, and we didn't get the chance to see that. But no doubt, no doubt. And by the way, just because guys transfer out of your program does not mean there's something wrong with your program. Exactly, especially now. Especially now, because this is the norm now. The days of guys staying, you know, throughout their careers, I think our our days are numbered. I don't see the guys staying at a school four years that anymore, because you have the option to depart at any moment now. So I wouldn't take it like North Carolina had a bunch of guys transferring. Kentucky had a, 
there's going to be movement every year. Look, UCF's bringing in their own guys. So it just this yeah. is college sports now moving forward. I know some don't like it, but you, that's just reality. This is reality. And again, doesn't mean that the coach is a bad problem. There's problems there. Not a, In this case, I don't believe that's the case at all. And two of those guys actually came in uh, just recently signed. Ed Xavier Rhodes from yep. uh, Dallas, a uh, foot, six foot nine forward. Three-star recruit from Rivals, uh, who averaged 20 points and nine rebounds at Skyline High School last year. And then also P.J. Edwards, uh, a guard out of uh, North Carolina, um, who's a 6'4 combo guy out of Springfield, uh, Illinois. So uh, another three-star. So, uh, you know, it's there's just going to be a lot of it. What it I, I tell you what, it just shows you how much more difficult the job is for coaches to develop their systems you know you're just not going to get guys who are running the same system for three four years anymore um you have to you you have to really adjust what you do and make it easier for everyone to understand quickly you know so um yeah i don't i don't know what these coaches are doing right now because it's no question the portal's here to stay Yep, no question. And I think, Johnny, that that's the big challenge now. I mean, I don't – to me, that's part of the reason why I think Roy Williams decided to retire in North Carolina because I don't think he could have handled – he could handle a transfer era, if you will, because nobody ever transferred at North Carolina. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, you know, we're in a new world now in college sports. How about Coach K, though? You know? He's the last of the dying breed there. And, yeah. you know, he's I – mean, he, he adapted. You know, Roy, Roy's 70 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, Coach K is what? He's in his seventies. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, right? Yeah. He's hanging in there. He's so, hanging in there. Yeah. But uh amazing hair for a seventy four year old. How about it? All right. Um <laughs> all right, let, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll we'll uh, talk about tennis. Uh the American championships are on deck. UCF men's and and women's tennis uh both are, have firmly established themselves as national contenders. We will update you on them and see what they've got coming up next. Uh, when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast with Eric and Jeff. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric and Jeff with you here on this uh, Wednesday night. We're going to switch gears and talk to tennis. Uh, specifically, this is this is the big weekend for both UCF and uh, women's and men's tennis. But as we first look at the uh, rankings, Eric Lopez, both teams are firmly in national contention. The men are at our 11th right now. They actually dropped a little bit. They were in the top uh, 10, if I'm not mistaken, and they dropped back to 11. They're Goddamn college Jordan. football committee. Screw you. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the women on the other side uh, are, uh, by the way, I'm looking at the uh, coaches poll. UCF is also at 11. Um, the uh, On the women's side, uh, as we take a look at as we take a look at that, they're actually in eighth uh, in their in the latest ranking. Uh, that's their best ranking of the season, um, highest achieved uh, their highest ranking. I think uh, is that ever? Yeah, I think it might be the highest ranking ever for UCF uh, women's tennis. Um, and so now they both teams head into the American Athletic Conference Championship a weekend. Now uh, we'll start with the women. They're at fifteen and four overall. They knocked off number four Florida State in Tallahassee on Friday. Then they came back and beat Tulsa at home on Monday. So they're riding a three-game, a three-match win streak, and they've won eight of the last nine coming in. 
But uh, they will face the winner of number nine, Cincinnati, and number eight, uh, USF. Those two teams play at 9 a.m. on Thursday. And all these matches are taking place at the USDA Tennis Complex down in Lake Nona. Uh, And then UCF will play the winner of that match. They're the only team that has the bye because they're the number one. And so they won't play until Friday at 12.30 p.m. across from the five and the four, which is Houston and Tulane. The number two seed is SMU. The three seed is Tulsa. Uh, quarterfinals on uh, Saturday in the late morning, and then the final will be on ESPN Plus on Saturday. But this uh, shapes up really good for, uh, first talking about the women's team, this shapes up really good for them. They're in good shape. They get to play, uh, they, they play a team that's already tired, right? So they're, so I think that overall they'll be in pretty good shape uh, as they head into uh, the weekend at, uh, at Lake Nona, no? No doubt. I mean, to, I mean, I'm still blown away by the staring. I'm just staring at the number eight ranking. <laughs> number eight. No. Where is Dallas? And by the way, that's that. That's not like a human poll, right? No. That's that's that. The data is putting them at, at number eight, which, as you know, you can't stand. But I love it because it's uh, because it's 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 as objective as it can. Well, get. the tennis one is the be- no, but- the tennis one is a better formula than any other sport because it. It kind of goes cat, you know, week by week type of thing, and how you fare in the match, and pre- compared mm-hmm. to a year ago. So I- I'm fine with that. But here's the thing: we got we're the number eight ranked team in the country. We got two players in the top thirty in singles, and Valeria yep. Saleva is ranked nineteenth. Rebecca Stomar, who's a super senior, came back for the extra year. Yep, ranked thirtieth. She's in double digit in wins. Um, it's just insane. Insane how good this team is. They're the heavy favorites to win the American. They're going to be in the NCAAs. And I think the question's going to be, will is, this team, in theory, may never have to bus or fly throughout the entire yep. postseason. They can just sit back and at home, re- sleep in their own bed, because the American championships are at Lake Nona, and so is the entire NCAA tournament. Yeah, so if they get a proper seed, uh, they will be here throughout, and that's a big advantage. This team's been dominant at home, and Brian Konyeko is probably the hottest tennis coach out there. I do worry about that. There's tennis, for example, Texas's men's tennis job is open, so that worries me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's take care of our tennis programs, Terry, all right? Because this is insane. You've got, and we'll get to the men's, but the women's team has proven this is a national title contender. They have experience. They have that taste from a couple years ago when they, yep, made when they lost at the Pepperdine, season. right? Yeah, right. So that was on the road at Pepperdine, too. So if this plays out, if they were to win the American and get a proper high seed, they don't have to leave anywhere. Now, my only concern, conspiracy theory says, they <laughs> might because I've seen this in softball, where Oklahoma – gets a lower seed because quote unquote the national champ the women's college world series is in oklahoma city so what they do is they seed them low enough so they go on the road in the super regionals i hope they don't do that here with ucf but it wouldn't shock me so i will caution that uh some of that well, mumbo jumbo nonsense well but. well i don't think it it would matter in this case right because, i hope not it should because there's the this the middle rounds are not going to be elsewhere it's Correct. all in orlando so it it yeah. does there's no other site that they could they be should. sent to. Right. So it's huge. It's a great opportunity. It's a huge opportunity. But first step start. First things first. Take care of the conference tournament. All right. And now the men have to do the same exact thing, by the way. Their uh, first round, their first match, rather, 
uh, starts on uh, Friday, April 23rd. They received an automatic bid to the semifinals. They actually have an easier path. They're 19-3 overall. The reason why is because uh, they were scheduled to play Temple, who's the number eight in the first round, but Temple dropped out due to COVID tracking. So as it stands right now, UCF can sit at home on Thursday, watch everyone beat themselves up in the quarterfinals uh, in the Orlando Heat, and then face the winner of Wichita State and Memphis at 3.30 p.m. on Friday, and then they would face the uh, winner from the other side of the bracket, which includes uh, Tulsa, USF, SMU, and Tulane, uh, in the uh, in the final at 3 p.m., assuming they get through Wichita State and Memphis, of course, that would also be on uh, ESPN+. Plus. But um, this really worked out for the men's tennis team in the fact that, you know, unfortunately, we hope everyone's okay with the Temple program, obviously. But, um, you know, from an on-court standpoint, um, you know, one less match they got to play, one less match to get them to the conference championship. Uh, they are the favorites once again. And they are ranked uh, 11th right now. Um, but there's a little bit of concern here coming in, Eric. Now, we haven't heard any specifics yet. But uh, a little bit of a scare in, uh, in UCF's last uh, match to finish up the uh, regular season. Uh, now, they won the match against Tulsa, who's ranked number 38, 4-1. But the key was that one, and it was at... Singles court number one, where Gabe DeCamps was playing, he was leading his match and then had to retire uh, in uh, in the middle of the match. Uh, so that's a we don't know. We have no specifics about if he suffered an injury or just something something went well, wrong. Well, this is the he second- won his double match with yeah. Juan Pablo Mazuki, but yeah. um, but he was up uh, or he was uh, he he won the first set six six one, lost the second set six three, and then uh, and then retired. So. Uh, and so, Cody Pearson ended up winning. So there's a couple things here. This is the second time he's retired recently. Uh, he retired a few matches ago as well. Now, there's two theories of thought. Again, I, obviously, we're not there, so we don't know what happened. There could be two factors here. One could be that he has an injury and that, you know, you don't risk it. You just retire at that point, mm-hmm. you know, especially, and again. The rest I'm of the here, team has the match taken care that's of. That's the other thing the I was going to say. There also could be a strategy here where, hey, if your team has got this wrapped up, we don't need to force this and play a third set. Uh, let's just rest up, especially with the conference tournament. We'll obviously learn a lot on Friday. We'll see if he lines up. But he's got a lot at stake, okay, because not uh, not only the, from a from a team competition, but he's the number three ranked player in the, country, in the college tennis. So mm-hmm. there's also a singles aspect to this. And so I, I you know, hopefully – I don't I – I mean, it's, you know, who knows – I don't think it's as serious as it looks based on the fact that he had retired recently and then played after that. So this could be – and tennis players tend to do this. We see this in the pros all the time where, look, if the guys, you know, they know they've got a big tournament ahead next week and I, this match really doesn't affect them, I can just kind of retire and just not put any more pressure on my body if I if I don't have to. So, you know, that's my speculation on that. Uh, but we'll see. We'll find out for sure, obviously, when they step on the court here in the conference tournament. There has been a shakeup in the singles rankings on the men's side, too, by the way, because Gabe dropped from fourth to seventh this week. That's that Power so, Five committee again doing <laughs> its tricks. Two but. guys from uh, – two. actually, the uh, uh, interestingly enough, you mentioned the six players ahead of them, all from SEC schools. 
conspiracy. Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, Texas A&M, Texas A&M, Florida. SEC bias. That just means more. <laughs> SEC network. Golly. But look, uh, his health is more important. Uh, yeah. I mean, that all makes sense. Uh, but I will say, when it comes to that kind of stuff, if it, it, it when it, if it gets to the singles tournament seeding wise, it doesn't matter. Like the best player is going to win. So whether he's three or five or six, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be a contender for that. That's the most important thing. Whatever he has, uh, deal there. Here's an interesting strategy. Okay, Brand has been outstanding doubles. He is actually uh, now. One of the uh, two players who he's actually part of two ranked doubles teams. Okay, he and Bogdan Pavel right now thirteenth in the ITA doubles. They're seven and one together. All right. If you look a little further down the doubles ranks, Trey and Gabe DeCamps are eight and four, and they're thirty second. All right. Yep. Uh, so. I think this is a really interesting play for John Roddick. I mean, he has shuffled the doubles lineup before. What do you do with Trey Hildebrand? Do you go back to him and Gabe? Do you stick with what's been working, which is uh, which is Trey and Do you mix it up depending on the matchup? I don't know, man. It's I, I think it's a really a really interesting play that he has here. It is, and you know, we had Gabe DeCamps on this show recently. Uh, that's the thing that makes this team so good is they have that versatility. Uh, you know, Trey and Gabe are obviously real tight. They've played a long time together. You can always go back to them. But I think I think John will kind of play it by ear to play it by matchups. And I think, you know, go strategy and how what's the best route to attack the opponent. And that's why they've been so successful. And, uh, you know, that's why, again, I have said this. I think Gabe is Gabe's going to have a future playing professionally whether it be singles or doubles, the guy can do both. He's going to make a living playing professional tennis. I think he's uh, he's the greatest tennis player, men's tennis player in the history of this program. And he's got a legitimate shot to win singles. He could they could win doubles. That's I mean you make a great point. Mm -hmm. He could win singles, doubles and team. That's all in play. That's all in play because they all could be in the mix for the NCAA tournament. It's wild. But that goes back to my original thought of why retire I don't freak out just cuz he retires there. Because there's a lot of matches ahead of him here. When you're playing doubles, yeah. sometimes you kind of, you know, take a take the, you know what, I'll take this match off. This doesn't really affect my rankings or it doesn't affect whatever in the big picture. So that's my hope. Yeah, it's there is a lot more uh, strategy to that. I think like other sports would look at that and be like, oh, you're not being true to the game. No, in tennis, it's a different animal. Especially, right? let's say, let's say, and I, yeah, we don't know. But in most tennis, a lot of guys have hamstring issues especially if it's hot, things like that, cramp. So do you really want to chance it in an, on a regular season match where, you know, you're pretty much your team has it wrapped up and run the risk of, you know, hurting your hamstring, let's say, further? No, you don't. So you you bow out, you withdraw, and it's that's the mm -hmm. smart play to do, especially at this point when you have your biggest matches ahead of you with the conference tournament and then potentially the NCAA tournament from a team competition, potentially singles competition, and doubles competition. Right. So it's going to be a grueling next couple yeah. of weeks. The, uh, so like we said, the this coming weekend, uh, Friday and uh, Saturday for the men, uh, or at least we hope they'll get through Saturday uh, because they play either Memphis or Wichita State on Friday at 3.30 p.m. Uh, you can keep an eye on that on the USTA National Campus's website. They they stream all the matches there. The final for the American will be on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, and then, of course, for the uh, women's tennis team, 
They're playing in the mornings. Uh, Friday uh, against, or rather they play, yeah, they play Friday against the winner of USF in Cincinnati at 12.30. Uh, semifinal Saturday, Sunday final, final also on ESPN+. Plus. The semifinals in the previous match uh, and the first round match will all be on the uh, USDA uh, national campuses website, which uh, they do a wonderful job with that, by the way. James Reed was hitting us up on Twitter saying, man, are you watching these, this tennis? I have. Here? I have. I love it. It's great. Like it's it's like they the, do a really good job. It's, let me tell you something. From a logistics standpoint, it is hard to stream tennis and do it well. Yeah, and they do a wonderful, wonderful. Well, job. especially they in the really college good. landscape too. I haven't seen. I'm not just you know sucking up here. I there is no one that does a better job streaming college tennis than the USTA does. Like you could pick yeah. any court you want at any time and follow the match, and they keep track of all the scores. Uh, not a lot of you colleges just click have that. Into which one you want yeah. to see if it gets close? Yeah. It's like you know, having there's, right. There's, there's no lag. The video quality is outstanding. They it's like the job. NFL ticket, but like for tennis. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. We'll have we'll be posting the link there when it goes up. Uh, real quick, I wanted to get to uh, golf real quick. Women's golf uh, finished fourth in the American Championships up in Pinehurst. Uh, uh, Pat Pidden finished at uh, plus four. She was the top individual. Uh, they, and she finished uh, tied for fourth in the individual uh, rankings as well. Um, a little bit, uh, Emily Marin said that she was a little disappointed in the finish, um, but uh, there are some, there's at least some possible hope that they could get into the golf regional. Uh, the uh, Golf Channel is hosting the selection show Ooh. on uh, Wednesday, April 28th. That's one week from when we're recording the show, April 28th. Right wow. now, UCF looks like they, yes. Right now, UCF's a little, a little bubbly, right now because they're thirty third overall according to Golf Stat. Um, they're it, now it, their comparative record, which is what Golf Stat uses, um, is two twelve. Uh, they're two twelve, and they've won two hundred and twelve of their of the two hundred. They've beaten two hundred twelve of the two hundred forty four teams that they've matched up against in tournaments overall. That's a relative percentage of. Uh, about 82%, which is pretty good. That's good enough for 33rd. They played really good competition, but you know we just we just don't know right now. South Carolina has uh, uh, has a comparative record that's uh, better than anybody else at least as of right now. But um, yeah, it, 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 I, I think that they're going to be sweating a little bit as they as they head to the uh, into the selection time. So I just DVR'd uh, it eight Eastern on the Golf Channel. There you go. All right, now the men, uh, if you're wondering, they just finished uh, their most recent finish was in that Augusta Haskins Award Invitational, which was in early April. But uh, they play their championship, uh, their conference championship, April 23rd through the 25th, which is this coming weekend. It will be at Brooksville, uh, Florida. Uh, and looking at their golf stat rankings, uh, real quick. They uh, right now. Let me see if actually I had I had them pull up. Okay, they're at sixty fourth, so they have quite a bit of work to do uh, with a relative percentage of seventy one and a half. So um, I, they're going to have to post a really good showing, I think, in the American uh, Championship uh, if they want to get themselves get themselves at least into contention. Otherwise, it'll be um, they may have to do like a win and in kind of thing right now. I think wow, I mean, it's going to be. This is great. You're the Joe Lenardi of golf bra uh, bracketology. I love this. This is like a well. It, the here. key is the key is who, who do you have to beat in the men's side? It's always SMU. They're 20th yeah. right now in the country. So if you can find a way to get past them, 
I think you're going to be in pretty good shape, especially in this. I mean, plus you're hosting the tournament. I mean, it's in Brooksville. Why not, right? I agree. Yeah. I agree. So the, I mean, this is as, this is as good a chance as, uh, as they have. Uh, this is the thing why we love tennis and golf right here. And, you know, what we've always talked about with UCF is, you know, a chance to be, um, you know, a chance to be, you know, to really dominate in those sports. Uh, you know, Brooke, uh, by the way, uh, Brooksville is out by Hernando. So it's out like due west of uh, Orlando and north of Tampa, right? Due it's north almost like UCF USF sharing that deal. Right? It's yeah. about halfway. It's a little bit. Well, it makes it easier for everybody to get to. Although it, it is, it is quite a bit out there south of Crystal River. But, um, but yeah, it's you know it, it's it. I think they've been there before. I forget what year. But uh, you know, if you're out, if you live out that way, you're a UCF fan. Chance to watch some good golf. So. Well, I just hope the Golf Channel does a good job with the selection show, unlike, you know, some of the other sports we've seen recently <laughs> with the bracket. Come on, guys. A selection show should not be this complicated, please. Oh, uh, you know, they try to overcomplicate it all the time, I feel like, with these other yeah. sports. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like just, hey, tell us what. The whole point is, like, let's see where everyone's playing and let's see everyone be happy. Let's and be don't happy. interview anybody until the full bracket's announced. <laughs> That's right. Like, the volleyball was atrocious. They kept interviewing people after each bracket. And I'm like, wait a minute. We got people's teams still trying to wait and find out if they're now, in. Now, there may be a strategy behind that. There may oh. be a, you know, they may be working some production stuff in the background. They may need the time to work out that production stuff. We don't know. Anyway. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for when the golf uh, uh, selection show is, like we said, April 28th, Golf Channel. Uh, men's Golf Monday, May the, or excuse me, no, that's Division Three. I'm sorry. Division One men's golf May the fifth, also the following on the golf Wednesday. Channel. I love following it. Following Wednesday, yeah. Ooh, so you think we get? Wow, I wonder who's hosting that. Like, which Rich Lerner? We think we get like a Rich Lerner, Steve Sands, little Brandel Chamblay. I would like to. I would like to see those guys. Uh, those guys up there. So yeah. we got to reach out to our buddy Arthur Volpe, works on the Golf Channel. I was going to say Volpe right. should be working that. Oh yeah, yeah. Volpe, are you out there? <laughs> yeah, he's busy working right now, covering some yeah. tour event. Probably. He's a, well, I think he, I think he's up north now, isn't he? Yes, he is up there. They yeah, moved all their stuff on him. Yeah, up, and they moved everything back up to Connecticut. Yep. So, um, but hey, you know, Volpe, I hope that the uh, your first winter up north was a was a relatively easy one for you. So, all right, we come back, softball and baseball, and some and a few odds and ends here and there. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here. Uh, we're going to wrap with talking about uh, baseball and, so uh, and softball. Let's first start with softball, Eric Lopez. Okay. 30-12-1 right now. All right. Good record. Still, t still tied in the top 25. They're tied for 25th in the most recent poll. But coming off of a weekend where, well, it, they played Wichita State. As you said, it was the first ever matchup between two top 25 teams in the Amer within the American Athletic Conference in the history of the American. And UCF gets beat in 3 out of the 4 and then there was a <laughs> and then there was a scoreless tie on Sunday because Wichita State had to get out of dodge because of uh, because they had a flight to catch uh, which I'll allow you to talk about in a second but let's talk about these first 3 games. Yeah. Boy, this offense really, uh, after they walloped Florida in Gainesville, uh, every which way but loose, uh, they get shut out in the first uh, two games, uh, Friday and then the first game on Saturday before they lose 5-2 to two in the second game on Saturday. Um, 
what in the world happened here? It's a good question. Uh, you're not the first to have asked. I've had a lot of questions about that, uh, especially on message boards. People have asked. Uh, it's Look, it was surprising. I mean, which, first of all, Wichita State has a good pitching staff. Uh, Bailey Lang, who's their ace lefty, is like tremendous. She's going to right now, she's probably the number two choice for pitcher of the year in the league behind South Florida's Georgina Corrick. And she gave UCF fits when she was healthy three years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think she's a bad matchup for UCF. UCF has not really seen lefties this year. Uh, so that's one part of it. Number two, and we didn't get into this last week because obviously they had beaten Florida and, you know, they, you know, the flat tire and all that. They don't have their leadoff hitter anymore in Kennedy Searcy. Kennedy Searcy got hurt in Greenville in East Carolina going for a foul ball. Uh, she's out for the season, basically. Mm. That is a that huge hurts. That is a huge loss. She has been the rock solid leadoff hitter. She was the one that led them in steals. She gets on base, sets the table for the big bats. Uh, you know, to me, that's a huge loss. You know, they they now have to replace that production in left field and then the leadoff spot. And they don't think they know yet what they want to do with the leadoff spot. They tried Justine Molina for a couple games. They've tried Kira Klarkowski. They've tried Delani Sh uh, Denali Shopacher. They haven't gotten Denali the actually was a leadoff hitter the last couple of years, wasn't she? Uh, she's had, she's played some leadoff, and that would be my pick. Uh, to be the front runner. But again, it depends on certain matchups, right? Because, you know, Coach Ball Malone is very much into advanced analytics. So it depends on the matchups. Uh, and one of the things about the Lang matchup that's a bad matchup is it really takes Shopacker out of that equation because of the lefty-lefty situation. So yeah. uh, that's a thing they have to figure out here is who is their leadoff hitter moving forward? Who steps up in that spot from that production? Uh, that really, I think it's because she was like an energy one. You could just sense the energy when she was at the plate. She was a havoc in the base pads. And I thought that everybody fed off of that. So that's the other part of it. The other one is Georgia Blair has been struggling. And as she goes, a lot of times, so does the rest of the offense. And when she struggles, they struggle. So, you know, you put all that together. And I think you saw what happened over against Wichita State. And I think it got a little mental at times there. Uh, they didn't hit timely hitting. They had opportunities to score, especially in the Sunday's game. Holy moly. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have timely hitting. And, you know, that was tough. It's disappointing. I get it. I understand the frustration out there. Uh, it was tough to, to, to see. Wichita State's very good. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it was disappointing that the offense was kind of the reason they lost. Because I thought outside of the first game, per se, I thought the pitching was fine against the Wichita offense, especially the two of the four games. Uh, but the offense just didn't show. And, you know, it's a tough one. Give Wichita State. They outplayed them. And I thought you see and, – and, and here's the other thing. Wichita State has a lot of players from the 2018 team that literally played in the last game of the regular season for a conference championship in Tampa against South Florida, and they lost that game. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to their head coach, Christy Bredbender, about that and some of their players, like Riley Buck, who I mentioned earlier in the show who has killed UCF pitching since she's been at Wichita State, probably yeah. taken out her frustrations for the UCF medical staff. Yeah, there's, not there's, a little bit, there's a little bit more behind that, I think, than, uh, yeah. than maybe she's Great kid, though. Probably. By the way, great kid. It's a great story. So I don't want to, you know, I understand. Great kid. Very happy for great her. Great kid. She's totally killing us right yeah, now. She is. She's a, yeah. <laughs> but they, that was, they were one win away from winning the regular season title. It was a winner-taker-all. And they, they have that pain, and those play, that team has that chip on their shoulder from that experience. 
This UCF team has not experienced that in conference play. You think about it. Over the last few years, they have not been in the mix for the regular season title. Not this group. They haven't won a conference tournament, a championship since 2015. They haven't made the NCAA tournament since 2016. This group it would have been last year, but would have been correct. But you know, we didn't get to it. They haven't even won a conference tournament game since 2016 so this group has never won a conference tournament game let alone an ncaa tournament appearance so you i think what happens is they put too much pressure on themselves when they're in conference versus when you run into a wichita team that has that experience they went through in 2018 where they mm -hmm. were a win away from winning the regular season title and got to a regional final in arc uh, in arkansas they have more experience than UCF does when it comes to these type of big series. And I think that was a factor in this series, Wichita State winning. Uh, and I, you know, call it intangibles, call it mental, whatever. That's, I think, played a factor in that. And I think the thing you take out of it is you hope that UCF learned from that. You hope they learned from that experience and they improve and get better. And I think they did. I thought that Sunday game, they outplayed Wichita State. You know, they had a couple of base running mistakes in particular in the bottom of the six runner third didn't tagged up too early on a fly ball otherwise they win that game one to nothing they literally ran out of time uh, in the 11th inning uh, i thought they outplayed them and i think in the long run that'll benefit them if they see wichita state again in the conference tournament but i think those the, the factors i just brought up you add all that up and oh by the way wichita state's really good adds up to what we saw now this game on sunday huh, that ended huh. in the scoreless tie yeah. They were in the 10th inning. Aaliyah White was fabulous. Incredible. Um, but describe for me the ending here. Oh, boy. <laughs> so let, I, I, let's piggyback here. You mentioned the 10th inning. So Christy Breadbender, this was known before the series. They moved up the game to 11 a.m. Because Wichita State has a flight to catch at two o'clock. Uh, they have a flight to catch to get back to Wichita from Orlando, which is not the easiest flights to make right. happen. So the drop dead time is two o'clock, two o'clock. So they moved up to 11 o'clock. Who's thinking that this game's going to go three hours, you know? Uh, well, <laughs> exactly nobody. <laughs> right. So I remember, and I'm mentioning this on the broadcast, uh, they get to the 10th inning. And I remember coach Breadbenner and coach Ball Malone had a lengthy conversation. I think it was in the 10th inning, somewhere in the 10th inning in between innings, a lengthy conversation. And I knew what it was about, which was, do we go ahead and play the 11th inning or do we not? Because we're getting close to the clock now. Mm -hmm. And it's around 150. So they decide to play the 11th. Wichita State, in fact, from what I have been told, it was Wichita State that wanted to play the 11th inning, not necessarily UCF. Because UCF thought, well, you know, 10 minutes, can we really get a full inning in? You know? Right. Wichita's like, no, no, we want to play. Okay. So they play the 11th. Wichita State goes down in order. UCF comes to the plate. They get a, a hit by pitch. They make a fly out. And then as far as it hits a single, it's first and third. And as it gets to about two o'clock point four eight. First, first and third and one out, right? One out in the bottom of the 11th, two o'clock. And I'm watching this, two o'clock, 48 seconds. Christy uh, Breadbender and the Wichita staff comes out of the dugout basically saying, oh, clock's done. The umpires look at them and they're like, oh, that's right. It's two o'clock. Boom. Drop dead time. Game over. That's kind of what happened. Ironically enough, my broadcast partner for the game was Alex Powers, two-time All-American at Florida State. She was a part of maybe the most infamous tie in the history of Division I college softball. It took place in California 
a few years ago. Michigan played Florida State. It ended in a, a tie, and both teams nearly got into a fight over it <laughs> because <laughs> they were accusing, and I want to say, I, I think it was either, I think Florida State had the flight to I don't remember who had the flight to catch, but the other team was literally angry because they were threatening to score, and they're like, you can't leave. You can't play another two minutes and so forth. And they nearly got to blows. Um, and that's why it's probably the most famous one. There's some bad blood there. Like, I don't think those two programs have played since. So so here's the deal. Technically, by rule, they were right. Everything was correct. There was nobody yeah. like no. It just like, so happened that, right. you know, that's how it worked out. It just worked out, drop dead time. And Alex has said this most of the time. It's literally 2 o'clock. It's a little different than baseball. Baseball has a drop dead time, and we've witnessed this recently with UCF baseball at Troy, uh, where they ran out. You know, they usually in baseball try to finish the inning. They don't like mm -hmm. leave it midway. Softball is a lot more gray. See, and this is the problem that softball gets themselves into a lot of times. A lot of this stuff is gray. A lot of this stuff depends on the two coaches and what they agree. Do they agree on an exact start, stop time? Is there a wiggle room? Some coaches will play an extra, will want to finish the inning. Some don't. But yeah, I was going to say, could they, do they normally agree that, listen, when two o'clock hits, we finish the inning and that's it? Correct. And I, I think. But in this case, it didn't happen. In that case, I mean, they, I think they agreed to two o'clock. Now, was it, you know, could they have played another, you know, there's an ethical side in my opinion is, you you know, do you finish it out? Like, do you finish it right. out? Because Alex said a player in the bottom of the 11, right? Like just finish the game. Uh, Cause some other coaches might've said, you know what, we're going to play this game and just finish it out. Baseball would have done that. Softball doesn't, in my opinion, this should be taken out of the coach's hand. There should be a rule. If I was in charge of softball, which some would say I should, uh, I would make a rule. If you start an inning, you need to finish it. You can't have this halfway. And because there's too many, it leaves open to gamesmanship. And look at how it looks. Right. It looks like Wichita State ducked out of a bad situation. And maybe they did. But this also works both ways. Because right. But if, if they didn't, they end up looking bad. Correct. And, and that sucks for them. Correct. And this works both ways because. Let's say Wichita State scores a couple runs in the top half of the 11th. There's, who's to say that a UCF doesn't kill time, all right? Right. Kill time to make sure they get to 2 o'clock, and then that inning is nullified. So to, that's why there's so many poke holes in this. In my opinion, it hmm. should be a rule. Take it out of the coach's hands. Hell, take it out of the umpire's hands because they're clueless. Uh, <laughs> you can't read clock. Um, take it out of their hands and make a rule, which is if Careful. you agree – if you agree, let's say, if the coaches agree to play the 11th inning, you have to finish the inning. You cannot end the game in the middle of the inning. That's what the rule I would make because here's the bottom line. Would have really? Do you think Wichita State was going to miss their flight if that game went five extra minutes, which is really what was going to happen? Either UCF's going to win that game or they're going to make two outs in within five minutes. Do you really think they're going to miss a flight in five minutes? And by the way, who really, in their right mind, would want to leave Orlando to go back to Wichita? Come on. I mean, seriously. So, well, you know, that's my rule. I would make that rule permanent for softball, where you have to finish the inning. Uh, I think it's a bad look for the sport. I think it's bad. But, again, I want to emphasize, it's not like they didn't mislead UCF. Both sides knew what was going on. So it wasn't like they were blindsided. Yeah, this, is, th this, right? was like, this was Murphy's Law. Everything that could have gone wrong did. The game went 11 innings. It took three hours. No, nobody scored. 
both teams had their opportunities and failed to capitalize. Right. And then lo and behold, you know, they weren't thinking it would go this long, but they were like, you know, ah, just in case it does, ah, you know what, we'll do. Well, guess what? Look what happened. So, another thing to bring up because some people have brought this up too: the international rule. Why didn't they mm-hmm. play the international rule? Talking to coaches across about this, you first of all, the American. Wait till you hear this, Jeffrey. This is kooky. But okay, on a getaway day, on, when there's a drop dead time, ninety nine percent of coaches at that point would rather just play to the clock than play through the international rule. So in other words, you're not okay. So I see. I think that's wrong. Well, I'm I'm just telling what coach. I'm not saying. I I I I, 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 I hear you because there was a part, and this is where I blame the league a little. If if the if the whole objective is to finish the game, yeah, right. What's the quickest way to finish the game? The international tiebreaker. Correct. Yeah. Finish the game. I thought that, and I mentioned that on the air because here's the koofy thing about this, and I found this out after the fact from other coaches in the league. So the American, and we saw this with baseball. So we'll get to that when we talk baseball. The American has adopted this year the international rule, but it's very, and I can't speak for baseball, but this it's is very, the runner on second to start the runner second. However, they, it's a mandatory thing for double headers, which is what you saw in baseball. Makes and sense. We, and we should have seen it in Greenville when UCF played East Carolina and they went 10 innings. They were supposed to play the international rule in the top of the 10th. One problem the umpires and the coaches forgot about it. Oh, God. <laughs> So they played. Oh, no, they did. So they played the tenth inning. Thankfully, it worked out for UCF because they scored the runs in the tenth inning and they won the game. But it was hilarious because the umpires went to the coaches in that in the middle, the top of the tenth after the <laughs> and they were like, "Should should we have right. a runner on second here?" Right, and UCF you guys like, remember. Yeah, UCF's like, uh, no, because we just played the top of the tenth without one. So, <laughs> wow. So, so by rule, they sh- in double headers, they're supposed to play. The international rule. In single games, it's up to the coaches. See, this is where it gets great. It gets muddy. It's real I muddy. Agree. I agree. Because either, either, uh, either, uh, and I recognize the whole desire for the coaches because the coaches usually have power here in the meetings in the conference, right? Of like, wh- how do we set the rules? What do we want to do? But in this case, this is one of those cases where I think the coaches in general have too much power where they can agree on the rules of a game beforehand. To me, it's either you go all in or you don't in conference play. Either you have the international tiebreaker for every game or you don't have it at all. We don't decide, you know, willy-nilly prior to a game, you know, okay, let's do it this time. No. Right. Either do it or not. Now, I'm in favor of it, as you know. Yeah. I, I, I understand the arguments against it, but I think especially on a case on a getaway day, it should on a getaway day. It should certainly be mandatory, but it should just be mandatory across well, the board, no matter what day it is. It, well, it's it's. But the problem is, not a lot of coaches want it. And I think the reason this has been implemented is because of the uh, protocols. It's, it's the protocols. Um, but, but I but I don't understand that. If if the whole objective of the protocols is to spend as little time right. being in contact with people as possible, well, I, I, I the game sooner. I, I agree. The doubleheader, the single game. Look, I think I wouldn't. I would not have been shocked if they would have used the international rule on game. I'm just telling you. In talking to other coaches, they do not play an international rule if there's a drop dead time. They don't want to do it, and you know for whatever the reason. So that's I, uh, uh, the other thing is no too. By the way. To they could have played this game at 10 a.m. and Wichita said no. They could have played, got an extra hour. And could they have played said it no. at nine. 
Uh, I don't know about nine. I've heard 10 a.m. is kind of the earliest you could play it. I don't know why. Oh, okay. But the point is that would have given you an extra hour. Now, who knows? Maybe we still be playing. But right. I know I know for a fact UCF wanted to play it. They would have played it at 10 a.m. and given themselves an extra hour. This goes back to, to what time was the Wichita flight? You know, and that's why there's that lack of trust type of deal. Like, couldn't it, mm -hmm. you know, wait five minutes? I There should be a better job of, hey, we're not in a rush to leave at 2 o'clock. Maybe we could go 3 o'clock or something. You know, it's just it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, a lot of people have opinions about it. It's disappointing. In the end, if UCF has better base running in, earlier in the game, we wouldn't even be talking about it. Fair. This. Totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, the one thing that we're not talking about, unfortunately, is that game with Team USA that was supposed to happen on Tuesday at 5 o'clock. <sighs> I know. Yeah. I hate to bring it up to you. but Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, it, well, it was a bummer, obviously, that so. it didn't happen, right? It's because of the rain. It rained all day on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, field was unplayable, obviously. Um, but there was some good that came out of it, right? The, uh, the, the team at UCF got to spend some time with Team USA. They got to meet some of their heroes. Um, there were some photos of uh, of the two teams hanging out in the Nicholson Fieldhouse. Yep. And uh, a former UCF player, uh, it turned out to be quite instrumental in uh, in making this all happen. Yeah, Stephanie Best, who owns Pro Swings, obviously her own business, uh, I think helped make all that happen. Mm -hmm. So now Team USA got some training to do in her, in her facility, which is a really a big deal for her. Think about that. She's hosting the U.S. Olympic team. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty, pretty big accomplishment there. So it, it turned a positive there. Awesome that the girls get to meet them, and they'll say that, and they took a photo, so I, that's a good thing. It stings because that would have been cool to see them play a few innings, uh, but obviously Mother Nature had different ideas. So uh, it is what it is, and hopefully they, you know, that'll be a positive for them moving forward. Now they go to Memphis, uh, and they can bounce back and have a good series against Memphis. And, you know, look, they're fine. Here's the thing. Conference rise, yeah, they, that took a sting. They're probably not going to win the conference regular season title. However, they're still in the 20s in RPI. They actually moved up in the RPI there, Jeffrey, your favorite. They moved hey. up. They moved up despite going 0-3-1. and 1. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, we got to work on that math a little bit, boys. I got to figure this one that. out. Uh, but nonetheless, they're in the great shape to make the tournament, uh, which they haven't done since 2016. And they're going to play Memphis here. I think this is a good opportunity this weekend for this offense to kind of bounce back, get some answers, clean some things up. Then you got Ole Miss, which is a big series in two weeks, and then obviously South Florida to end the regular season. So you still got important games. You're in good shape. The body of work they've built up, okay, kind of helped them get this, you know, gave them some space for a mulligan that they had, basically. Mm -hmm. you know well, right I mean? now they're in fourth in the conference at 9, 6, and 1. Yeah, they're behind Tulsa, USF, and Wichita, um, ahead of Houston, East Carolina, and Memphis. Where would you feel that they should finish in these la in this last six games in conference? Like, or excuse me, last eight games in conference. Where would you want them to finish in conference for you to be comfortable where they are? Top three, uh, top I think. Three? Top okay. three. I think it's it's the, the big series this weekend is South Florida at Wichita State. I think the winner of that series likely wins the regular season title. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're UCF, you're actually rooting for South Florida to give that slim chance you have. You need South Florida to beat Wichita State and yeah. have it all come down to the last weekend. Uh, but I, I think top three, if UCF were to take care of business, is the likely scenario there, by, you know, which is fine. You know, and the question becomes, you know, do you rather play? Do you Are you going to be in the draw with Wichita State in Tulsa or are you going to be in the draw with – South Florida potentially. What you want to do, actually, 
you want to avoid playing Tulsa, and I'm not even making I mean, you want to avoid playing Tulsa in the first round. And that is likely going to be a four or five, in my opinion. Tulsa is probably going to be a four or a five. So if you're UCF, you don't want to be in that situation where you're playing Tulsa in the opening round at Tulsa. We know how that goes. Nothing go well. You'd rather be a two or a three. I mean, obviously you want to well, be a one. Well, right even if you're not right a now, one, UCF would play. Right now, UCF would play Houston. That's if fine. I'm not mistaken. That, that's yeah, the that's four correct. or five for now. Tulsa, right. Tulsa ECU is the three six. USF Memphis is the two seven, and then Wichita would right. get the buy. Correct. Right. That's how it would play out. Two and three. Houston's the tougher matchup. It's a rivalry there. I would rather play ECU. I would rather play Memphis for sure. But at the end of the day, you just got to play well. If you play well, it doesn't matter. You're going to be fine. If you don't play well, you're going to get beat. So um, let's just play well, and let's see if they could fix some things and get healthy against a Memphis team that has struggled uh, this season. So I, I'm curious to see how they come out this week and uh, maybe hopefully take out some frustrations. Well, Houston, well, UCF swept Houston earlier this season. Yeah, so, and I mean, it was not easy. One, there was a walk. There was two walk offs in that in that in that hey, four game series. So true. Could have used one of them the past weekend. All right, so that. that's uh, so that's UCF softball right now. All right, that brings us over to baseball. Uh, the Knights are actually, you know, they're starting to kind of pick things up a little bit here in terms of baseball. In fourth place in the conference, seven and five in the league, seventeen and nineteen overall. Um, there are only, by the way, Eric. There are only three teams in the American that are above five hundred overall. It's wild, man. And it's the top, it, it's and it's the top three teams. ECU, obviously. Tulane and Wichita State. And UCF, you know, right now, don't look now, folks, but they have won, they won three out of four against South Florida, um, swept the doubleheader on Friday, split the doubleheader on Saturday. They got clobbered in the last game, but who cares? Um, and, you know, right now they've won, uh, is it four of their last six, but they have this huge test against East Carolina in Greenville coming up. Doubleheader Friday, and then a Saturday and a Sunday. Everything's on ESPN Plus, except for the Sunday game. For some reason, is not being shown on ESPN Plus. At least that's what it says right now. But we'll double check that. But um, hey, look, this is a uh, this is a really good ECU team that's coming in. Um, and he's had twenty third in the country basis. Uh, pitch staff is working really well. This is a this is a big. T- Against Cliff and the East. If UCF can somehow turn the ship here and make this happen, really boost their confidence. It could. Um, yeah, it could. I mean, uh, boy, this feels weird, first of all, to do a baseball segment without Murph. What was the last time we did know, a baseball right? segment without Murph? This feels strange. Like, I, I feel like I'm just going to remember the last time. I'm just going to call you Murph the rest of the segment just so we can <laughs> feel normal again. Um, look, ECU is very good. Like, here's the thing about this team, though. This is the same team that beat Ole Miss two out of three in Oxford, right? So, I mean, they're capable. If they can get a game, two games out of ECU, I would take it right now to the bank. I would be thrilled. Um, two out of four. Yeah, I mean, it was a big positive to win three out of four against South Florida. One of them was that 10th inning where they, you know, the international rule, which they put in in the 10th inning, by the way. The international rule starts in the 10th inning for both baseball and softball. It was important for them to get three out of that four. that makes sense. <laughs> well, they want to, you know, play it out uh, an extra inning, you know. Um, but so it's big that they finally won a series. Maybe that gives them that confidence boost. You know, I'm going to be curious. Obviously, to me, if UCF has a shot to win games, you got to go with Colton Gordon, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you got to win his start. He's the reigning pitcher of the week. He's the ace. 
can they go in there and take that first game of that double? I think it's a doubleheader Friday, if I'm not right. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. Doubleheader Friday. If you can get a split that first day, man, that's huge. Um, you know, and then maybe help turns around. Look, unfortunately, unlike softball, baseball doesn't have a lot of room for error. Like their RPI is 136. So they're likely, you know, this is going to be their last really marquee series they're going to be able to play because the league is kind of down this year. It's very weird. Yeah. To, I mean, Tulane right now is in second place after they swept Wichita State. They're kind of the second team in the tournament, according to Kendall Rogers, for whatever that's worth. Yeah. By the way, Tulane you, swept Wichita State. Wichita State's the number two team in the conference in most of these hitting categories, right. by the way. Uh, Amazing what Tulane did to them. It's a weird year for the league, even though they're number five. Uh, they're, depending on which uh, – the RPI has them as a six-rated conference, which for them is down. They're usually higher than that. Usually so, fourth. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know what to expect here. I know everybody expects ECU to clobber them, and they might. I'm not going to say they, they may not. <laughs> but if they can get – I think the first game is huge. With Colton Gordon, if you can get that win, it was good to see some of the offensive guys for UCF step up. But, you know, it's so frustrating that last game. I know you said it didn't matter, but man, you would have you would have liked them to be competitive there. Uh, it just kind of a lift, left a real bad taste in your mouth after getting three wins. But Fair. If, if you can get a win with Colton and get a split that first day, now the pre, you know, hey, you feel good about them. You're the first team to beat ECU. Maybe that gives you that confidence. My concern is if you don't win the Colton Gordon start. And now all of a sudden you lose that doubleheader. Now it kind of snowballs because ECU ECU is the type of team that just kind of once they get on top of you, they just jump on you. And that's Cliff style. I've know we've known Cliff yep. for a long time since he's been here at UCF, and he's an aggressive guy. And he's and, and when he's got a team down, they're going to make sure they kind of you know they do a great job of closing teams out when they get when they smell the sweet, they usually close teams out. So that's why I think. The Colton-Gordon game is critical for UCF to win that game. Otherwise, it could be a long weekend in Greenville. Some interesting notes on these two teams, by the way. ECU right now leading the conference in batting average, slugging percentage, on-base percentage as a team. By the way, these are the two top teams in the American in on-base in team on-base percentage. ECU is at 395. UCF is at 371. Um, two of the top three in total runs scored. UCF's at 211. ECU at 222. Two of the top three in hits, ECU at 321, UCF at 312. So I expect there to be a lot of offense this week, actually, between these two squads. Um, the interest, I think the X factor is going to be, um, you know, what does uh, ECU's pitching staff do? Uh, they're, you know, right now they're, they're, their pitching staff has been excellent the entire year. They're first in the conference in ERA, first in the conference in batting, first in the conference in pitching. There you yeah. go. That's uh, my concern. Uh, That's my concern. Yeah. Is this, this if this becomes a bullpen series, I think ECU has might have the edge here. Yeah, and uh, best in uh, and ECU's pitchers have allowed the lowest opponents' batting average, two twenty five, so far this season. So, um, so yeah, this is it, it, what do they do, uh, ECU, in terms of you know. It, there's a possibility that they might take UCF fairly lightly here. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I think Cliff Godwin's a better coach than that. But. Yeah, I got. I feel like Cliff always circles UCF for many reasons. So I, yeah. I have a feeling for that, more than that, one reason. Uh, but look, man, they're really good. But you know, this team is kind of weird. You know, they'll rise to the occasion when you least expect it. I mean, a couple of years ago they played in E. Greenville, and there was a couple of walk-offs that decided that series. So you never. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be tight. I agree with you. Um, but again, I got to emphasize, I really do think UCF has to win the Colton Gordon start 
Because if you can win that, I think that builds confidence. It builds that continues the momentum you built from the USF series. If Colton Gordon gets roughed up and if they lose and you're digging yourself a hole in this series, I think it could go an avalanche. I mean, so we'll see. I mean, that's remember, Colton Gordon set the tone in Oxford when he beat Ole Miss and you saw how mm -hmm. well they played. I really do think that's the factor because I don't believe UCF can win a bullpen series this year. If this was last year, I would say a different tone. But I don't think you want to get into a bullpen series here against East Carolina because uh, I think ECU has the edge there. So it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Maybe UCF could be that first team to knock off ECU. Interestingly, ECU hasn't played. Remember, their series last week against Houston got postponed because Houston uh, dealt with some co has got some COVID issues. Yeah. Uh, name to watch for for uh, ECU pitcher Jake Kuchmanner. He pitched well, man, He's last... been there 100 years, man. Yeah, he's been there for a while. He last pitched for them on uh, this past Saturday against Memphis. Um but uh, <clears throat> it's a name, very last name, familiar. Should be should be a familiar name to you because his sister Mackenzie uh, was the libero for UCF volleyball in 2019. She was a grad student, super senior, came over from North Carolina State, won a conference title for UCF, filling the uh, admittedly uh, large shoes of uh, Jordan Pingle, and led UCF to a conference championship. So, uh, but uh, Jake is still there. Uh, and uh, I think we're, they're expecting to throw on Saturday. I'm not 100% sure on that. We'll double-check on their uh, rotation. But he, he did pitch on Saturday against Memphis uh, in his last start through four and two-thirds, uh, gave up uh, three earned runs, uh, walked two, and struck out once. He's been a little up and down this year, Jake has, but uh, still very good, very good pitcher, highly touted in the preseason, uh, junior out of uh, Waxhaw, North Carolina. So... Another guy to keep in mind on that one. All right, <clears throat> so that'll wrap it for us. Eric, we got a lot of stuff that's coming up this week, man. We have the American for uh, men's golf. We have the American for tennis. What are you going to be uh, watching the most closely, the tennis? Yeah, I know how much yeah, you're a yeah, tennis yeah. guy here. Yeah, I'm going to watch the tennis. Obviously, I want to see how if Gabe DeCamps, you know, gets on the court, how he looks, things like that. I think tennis is the big story here. Tennis is a mm. huge story here. How did they finish strong? Can he win the conference tournament? I don't know. When is the selection shows for tennis? Um, yeah, because I think that's going to be, we'll learn a lot about that. But yeah, can they win the, both programs, win the conference championship at home and maybe cement themselves as a high national seed and not have to travel for during the NCAA tournament? I think that's the big storyline from a tennis standpoint. Obviously, uh, golf will wait and see. We'll see if softball get bounced back against mm -hmm. Memphis. I think it's critical that they do take care of business there. And I think baseball, we'll see. Can you know they have the talent to beat ECU? Can they show up and put a quality game together? You know, to beat East Carolina, we'll see. This team has been so bizarre up and down, but maybe you know, Love Lady teams usually finish strong. They usually make a second half push. Could we be the beginning here of a second half push for UCF? I think we'll find that answer out after this weekend in Greenville. Tennis selection shows, by the way, they're both on Monday, May the 3rd. Women at 6 and men's at 6.30. Man, everybody waiting here. Everybody's taking the week off here next week. Yeah. Man, yeah. they just want to get up for the NFL draft, I guess. Oh, uh, One thing I wanted to uh, to, uh, wanted to give a quick shout-out to, Saturday, the Knights uh, track and field team hosts the UCF Knights Invite One Day event uh, at the UCF uh, track complex. Track and soccer complex, I should say, by the way. Um and if I'm not mistaken, I just want to double check this before we go here. Um, that Renia is Jones, the reigning athlete of the week in track and field yep. there for the American. Another and, could be the next uh, Anne-Marie Blaney, if you will, among others. They got a couple of for, them there. 
double check me on that one because it's a two-day event starts it's friday and saturday that's correct uh, yep. at the track and soccer complex and then after that they have one more event the unf invitational in jacksonville before the american championships in mid-may so this is the big tune-up time for ucf um track and field uh and then uh one other thing rowing uh, they are at the Lake Wheeler invite uh, this weekend as well. And then after that event, they have nothing going on until the middle of May for the American uh, Championships as well. So this is one more tune-up for the rowing team before they aim for their sixth consecutive American Athletic Conference uh, Championship. This is uh, They're going to be facing Duke on Friday and then North Carolina on Saturday, and that's in Lake Wheeler, uh, North Carolina. So mayhem, baby. It's going to be mayhem. You could have Woo. rowing. You got tennis, golf. Hey, we thought that it would be like this, man. Getting close, man. Finish, you know, fin- big finishes here. That's going to be big. Yep. It's going to be fixed. Boy, I felt weird, though. I got to tell you, I felt weird doing a baseball segment without Murph. Felt very weird. And uh, that was awkward. But we'll yeah, I thought you did good. I thought Thank you, you. I thought was did solid. Was solid job. Tough. It was kind of like Lake Wheeler, by the way, south of Raleigh, I should say, for you Unite fans in the Triangle. That's good. I felt like I felt like the Chicago Bulls in '99. There, like Tim Floyd following Phil Jackson. I felt like that's what I felt like doing that baseball. <laughs> ah, you're you're being too hard on yourself. <laughs> too hard on yourself. I thought there was thought it was a, I thought it was a, at least a, at least a solid Larry Coker job. Won some games. yeah, he won some. He won uh, some games after. Maybe maybe man. maybe Murph gets the credit for it, but yeah, you held your own there for a little while. We'll, we'll see. Mess it up. It. Dylan Moore, man. The pressure's on you, Dylan Moore. Dylan Let's Moore, go. yeah. Hey, well, did you see those two web gems he had over the weekend? Yeah, he needs to start Holy hitting, though. I've, I've got him in my fantasy league. He needs to start hitting. I mean, let's go. He's got to start hitting. He had a home run recently, but yeah, no. It's, yeah, what's he, he hitting right now? Not good. He's under 200. I know that. Yeah, he's, uh, Come on, Dylan. Let's, let's see. What's it? We believe I got, in I got him pulled up right now. Man, he's hitting 115. Is that even right? Do you believe the NFL drafts next week, by the way? That is wild. Big. Yeah, I mean, that's... We could have three guys drafted real quickly. This spring is flying by. So we'll be previewing that next weekend as well. We'll be getting Drew back in here to talk about the NFL draft, uh, any developments leading up to it. Um, And we'll be previewing. uh, We have a couple more previews uh, going up uh, before the NFL draft. We've got one on Aaron Robinson already up, as well as one on Richie Grant. Thanks to Luke Saris for putting that together. Thanks to Jeremy Brenner for uh, putting together the uh, newsletter, as he always does on weekdays. Make sure you subscribe to that. And a special welcome to uh, Bryson Turner, who's joining us. Actually, you know, you may have seen him quite a bit on our uh, on our uh, night shift shows as a as a commenter. Well, I've known Bryson for a long time, ever since he was a high schooler, and uh, he's going to join us to do a little uh, to do a little work covering basically all sports that we can. Uh, any story that comes up, he's going to be sort of our uh, Swiss Army knife, and um, I'm really happy to bring him on. He's an outstanding writer and an extraordinarily thorough reporter. Um, and has been for a very long time. So congrats to Bryson. Glad to bring him on. And uh, I'll be setting my alerts to see if Brian Murphy on MLB.com uh, publishes anything it, it publishes anything at all, as you should too, by the way. Knowing Follow Murph, I'm going to MLB.com just to make sure. He sometimes may not, you know, he likes to like kind of hide. In the, when are we over under, Eric, on when we see Brian's first, uh, first uh, MLB.com homepage feature? I would say within a week or two, once he gets the hang of everything. Yeah, I would say a week. By the way, a great stat, a a note. All right. Brian Murphy joins Juan Toribio. They both were on the UCF beat in 2017 for the national championship season. Both of them now work at MLB.com. How about that? 
There you go. MLB. Juan Turbio now is covering the Dodgers uh, for MLB.com. And here's Murph now getting his kind of feet wet on MLB.com. I mean, they're both doing better than that that head coach that left to uh, UCF. Ah! To I mean, good Lord. Who knew? Not bad, right? <laughs> but, uh, hey. Uh, I, it's, I'm, uh, we're all so proud of Murph and we're happy for what he's done. He, he's going to do great on MLB, uh, on MLB.com. And, uh, our hope is that we can drag him back here to comment on whatever the heck he Knowing wants. Knowing Murph, he's on. got a clock, right? He's just counting down to the Oscars. He's counting down <laughs> to the Oscars. He's, you know, I mean, I, you- we need a baseball movie feature from Murph on MLB. <laughs> we'll see if we can get it out of him. He might be in yeah. like Oscar heaven right now. Who knows? Right. But, uh, <laughs> All right, so make sure you follow us on Twitter uh, at uh, UCF underscore Batterette. You can also follow us individually, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo. He also might be uh, depressed about the Yankees right now, who are abysmal, by the way. Good yeah, it's Lord. bad. Woo. It's bad. I don't, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, you can Maybe follow us. Uh, if you don't subscribe to us, uh, you should. Make sure you subscribe to us on, uh, uh, if you're on an iOS device, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. If you're on Android, you can subscribe to it. Uh, via Spotify. Uh, if you already subscribe, awesome. Please leave us a, a rating and a comment, of course. Um, and make sure you tell your UCF friends all about us, too, and have them uh, uh, download our shows and uh, ask them to download our shows and subscribe to us as well because uh, your word of mouth means a lot to us, and I'm sure it means a lot to us, and we really appreciate um, all the support that you, the fans, have given us throughout uh, these five years that we've been doing this now, Eric Lopez. It's been it's been uh, it's been quite some time, but uh, yeah, this, this continues to be fun. So, uh, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. We will catch you later next week. <laughs>